Oh man, it's so good to be with you. Can we just give a little love to our worship team? They just took us to the throne. So good. For those of you who are, are, are just dropping in, maybe a friend brought you for the first time, you came at a really good time because we're closing out a series that's been really powerful for our church. And for the, those of you watching online, look, I get it. I don't go to a restaurant unless I yelp it. I, I'm gonna look online before I like commit. So if you're just watching online, I just want you to know we would love to have you come. Set foot on a campus, whether it's Woodland Hills or Agua, Agua Dulce, but the, the magic of God's people is being in our presence. And so for some of you, that's not possible, so no shame, no guilt, but I just want you to know you are welcome here to come meet the family. What do you say, guys? Should we welcome in the front door? For this, for this series, it's been, uh, it's been especially powerful because we've been eight weeks now, this is the last week, in the Beatitudes. Now, if you're new to the Bible, the Beatitudes are the first eight statements that Jesus makes in his most famous sermon ever. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, it's not just the most famous sermon of Jesus. It's the most famous speech in all of humanity, the, the most life-changed, the most quoted, the most powerful. And I want to suggest that you will not understand the Sermon on the Mount if you don't understand the Beatitudes. Because these eight statements turn the value of the world on their head. You know this, that what the world values is opposite of what God values, amen? The world outvalues beauty. God values honesty. The world values power. God values humidity, humility. The world values being famous. God values your submission to him. It, 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 the importance of the Beatitudes are not just to understand Jesus' sermon, it's to understand God himself. And I would suggest that if you don't understand God's view of the world, you won't understand God's view of you. And a lot of people are, are searching. They want to know God. This is the introduction. And what Pastor Dudley has done over the last few weeks is actually a brilliant strategy to view each of these statements. They're kind of poetic statements. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of, of heaven. With each statement, it's like a stepping stone in your faith. And once you take one step, then you can go to the next step. I, I was watching our, our grandkids for this past week. My kids went on a kind of a, a, a trip, just the two of them. So my wife and I had four little ones in our house. That's a, that's a young man's game. I'm just telling you, parenting is it's not, it's not for cowards. My, my granddaughter, she is way too cute for her own good. I mean, like dangerously. I can't say no to the girl. But she's in the kitchen, and we've got all travertine in the kitchen, and she took me back to my childhood by stepping across every crack. And she only stepped on the big stones. And as she went, she said something that you're probably gonna recognize, but it's changed since I was a kid. What she said was, don't step on a crack. Now, when I was a kid, it's don't step on a crack or you'll fall and break your back. That's not what she said. Don't step on a crack or you'll break your mother's back. <laughs> Kids are violent these days. Where, where does this come from? 
But it reminds me of the Beatitudes. With each step, if you fall in the crack, like if you don't get to the next step, you're gonna miss something essential in your own discipleship as you chase after God. So to conclude the series, I, what I thought we could do, would you be willing to read out loud? Like we're gonna put them each up on the screen and let's just as a community, you online, join in as well. I'm gonna read each of the statements and show how it connects to the next step. Here's the first one, let's read it together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's where it all begins. Until you realize you have nothing without God, you can't even begin your relationship. Because if you continue to trust in your own wisdom, your own power, your own resources, your own wealth, you're not gonna realize how much you need God. But as soon as you take that first step, you go immediately to the second step, which says, let's say it together, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And this mourning is not for something that went wrong, a loss of a job, a loss of a lover. It's mourning for your sin. The Bible calls it repentance. When you realize, I, I have nothing without God, and this sin is getting in the way of me having more of God, and that's why we mourn. And as soon as you do that, you move to the third stepping stone. Read it together, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I, I love that, that message of Pastor Dudley. If you didn't catch the one on meek, go, go back and, and listen to that online. He teaches that meekness is not weakness. It's actually your strength submitted to someone else. Look, you wanna be used by God. You can be, but you have to submit yourself, your resources, your time, your talent, your treasure, to the living God who can use what you have in his hand for far more than you could ever do on your own. And that leads to the fourth stepping stone. Here it is. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Do you crave more of God? Because when you do, then you move on to the next stepping stone, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And when you are filled by God, it begins to overflow in acts of mercy to other people. And when you show mercy, you know what's gonna happen? This is what you want. You want to live a life that honors God. You want to get past your past. You want to give over your habits and hangups. You don't wanna be triggered. And so to do that, to, to, to get past your past, you show mercy to others, and then you find the next stepping stone. Let's read it together. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You wanna be pure in heart? You wanna live a life that's different than those around you? The secret is in showing mercy. And when you get a pure heart, <laughs> all kinds of good things begin to happen. This is the next stepping stone. Say it together, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And what Pastor Dudley taught last week is the peacemaker is, is really when you create peace between God and human beings. We know this, the Bible teaches that we are enemies of God when we're living for ourselves, when we're living in our sin. And you see it all around, people, 
People object to God and godliness. They reject to the people of God and the word of God because they don't want anyone telling them what to do. And so what happens if you take this step, you become a peacemaker, introducing people to God, what is going to be the next step? Now, I'm gonna ask you, I know you're in church, but don't, don't think like a Christian for just a second. Like ask this question in your real day-to-day life. Who are actual peacemakers? Let me give you one example. How many of you serve uh, our communities by being uh, police officers? Any, any police officers in the room? Could we just thank them for putting their lives on the line for us? What I understand about police officers is one of the most dangerous calls that you will ever make. You know what it is? Domestic disputes. Because when you stand between two people who are fighting each other, you become the enemy of both of them. You you know who else stand in the middle of two people who are fighting? Referees. Right? And it doesn't matter whether it's the L.A. Rams. By the way, the Rams, you know who they're playing today? They're playing the Cardinals. You know where I'm from? Phoenix. Yeah. I'm leaving right after the service, so just don't even try. I'll be gone. It doesn't matter whether it's the L.A. Rams. It doesn't matter whether it's the Lakers, the Dodgers. We have a... one. Thanks, Mom. Um, When you wear a striped shirt, the most hated people on the field or on the court are not the players from the opposing team, it's the referees. In a previous service, I said that, and a woman sitting on the front row said, that's because they make terrible calls. (laughs) Even in church, they're hated. It's it's unbelievable. There's another group of people that stand between those at odds. I won't ask you to raise your hand. Any divorce lawyers? That was an ugly groan. No, we're just glad you're in church. Anybody can come to Jesus. When you stand between two two people who are at odds, you know that you are going to be, here's the eighth beatitude, let's read it together. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You, You know how this works. That when you stand between people who are opposed to God, what did you expect that they would applaud you? And when we lift up Jesus, we put a target on our back for the world around us. Not only should you expect that, you should celebrate that. Jesus said, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what I wanna do, so you already understand the basic concept. I wanna help give some color commentary by taking you back and telling you two stories. One is from 100 years before Jesus, the other is 100 years after Jesus. And and when we're done, you're gonna listen with a yarmulke on your head and go, oh, so that's how the Jews of Jesus' day would have heard this eighth beatitude. The first story comes from 167 BC. We're in Jerusalem in the temple. The key ruler of the region was not a Jew, but a Syrian named Antiochus Epiphanes III. He was a nasty human being. And he hated everything Jewish. He loved everything Greek. He wanted all the Jews to eat like the Greeks and talk like the Greeks and worship the gods of the Greeks. So he goes to the temple and he has in tow 
a pig. Hello. If you don't know, Jews, according to the Old Testament, did not eat pork. And I think all of us in here right now can thank God for Jesus Christ, who declared all foods clean. Yes, I am talking about bacon. Amen? Jesus saves us at every level, including dietary. So we've got, (laughs) you're welcome for that. So in in the temple, he has this pig, and he sacrifices it on the altar, and then he takes a piece of the cooked pork to the priest. Says, eat the pork. The priest refused. So he pulled out his sword and just gutted him right there in the holy place. And then he turned his venom against a a widow with seven sons. He went to the oldest son and said, eat the pork. And he declared his loyalty to God. So he had the soldiers, Antiochus, Antiochus Epiphanes III, had the soldiers pull out his tongue, cut it out, cut off his hands, cut off his feet, skinned him alive, and then burnt him to death on the altar. And he went to the second son, eat the pork. Second son refused. So he pulled out his tongue, he cut it out, cut off his hands, his feet, he skinned him alive, and burnt him on the altar. He went to the third son, and before Antiochus Epiphanes III could even speak, The third son stuck out his tongue. He cut it off, cut off his hands, his feet, skinned him alive, and burned him on the altar. Sons four, five, six, all dead. And he went to the widow and said, you have one son left. Would you like to speak to him? And she said, I would. And she embraced her son. And this is what she whispered in his ear. My son, Do not betray the memory of your father or these your six brothers. Do not eat the pork. I will see you soon. And with that, all seven sons died. Antiochus, he was furious. And he moved from Jerusalem to a city called Modin. He sent his soldiers everywhere to force all the priests to make a sacrifice to the Greek god. And in Modin, if you've, if you've never been to Israel, you really should go. Dudley and the book that he's written on uh, in the steps of Jesus in Israel, is, is we use it whenever we go on a trip to Israel. It would be a trip of a lifetime for you. You should, you should go. But on your way from Jerusalem back to the airport, I want you to pay attention to the street signs because at one exit off the freeway, it still has a sign to the city of Modin. It's 13 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And in that little city in 167 BC, the priest there, when the soldiers came to to ask them to make a sacrifice to the Greek gods, one priest stepped forward. His name was Mattathias Maccabeus. And instead of making a sacrifice to the Greek gods, he pulled a, a sword from under his tunic and he slaughtered the soldier. And the other Jews pulled out swords and slaughtered the soldiers of Antiochus Epiphanes III, and it sent them into a war for independence against this overlord. It was a three and a half year bloody war. Against odds, they fought, but ultimately they won every battle against bigger armies, against 
bigger weapons against a more fierce and trained military. And really, the Jews believed that God's hand was on the Maccabean warriors. And this Maccabee not only died in battle, but all his sons died in battle as well. And they became heroes in the legendary lore of the Jews. From that moment on, they began to say, blessed are those who are persecuted for the law of God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I want to read a passage that comes out of the the chronicles of the Maccabees. This is from Maccabees chapter 4. This is actually what the third son of the widow said when he refused to eat the pork. By the blessed death of my brothers, by the eternal destruction of the tyrant, and by the everlasting life of the pious, I will not renounce our noble family ties. And so, from that time on, Jews understood, blessed are the persecuted for those who stood for the law of God. They had a reward in heaven. Now fast forward past Jesus. You you come to the year 70 when Jesus' prediction, Matthew 24, very specific predictions of the destruction of Jerusalem came true to the letter where the walls were torn down, the temple was invaded, The Jews were conquered, and for the next 60 years, they lived in subjection to the Romans. In fact, all the Jews were kicked out of the city of Jerusalem and could not live there. The temple was turned into a worship center for the Greek god Jupiter, or Zeus in the Greek. After a generation and a half, the Jews had had enough. And they decided to try again for independence under the valiant general Bar Kokhba. The year is 130 to 135. They fought valiantly and lost brutally. And in 135, not only was Bar Kokhba assassinated, so were all his supporters, including the third most famous rabbi of all Jewish history. His name was Akiba. Akiba, getting ready for his execution, had his disciples around him, and one of them said, you know, Akiba, you and I look a lot alike. I don't think the Romans can tell us apart. What if I died for you? And Akiba refused. He said, I've always wondered if I could fully live out the Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word meaning listen. It's the first word in the most famous passage of the Old Testament. In fact, even today, In every synagogue service all over the world, they recite the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Now you can probably finish it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And Akiba said, I've always wondered if I could love God with all my strength to my dying death. My, the, my last breath. And so I don't want you to take away from me the opportunity to be persecuted for God with my dying breath to say the Shema. I want to read to you the account of Akiba's death. This comes out of the Babylonian Talmud from 500 AD. It says, Blessed are you, Akiba, because you were arrested on account of the teachings of Torah. The hour at which they brought Rabbi Akiba out to be put to death was the time for reciting the Shema. 
They were combing his flesh with iron combs while he was accepting upon himself the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. Do you hear the echoes of Matthew chapter 5, the eighth beatitude? You have blessed are you, put to death, that's persecuted, and the kingdom of heaven. This idea that you would be blessed if you suffered for God held sway among the Jews. When Jesus introduces it in the Sermon on the Mount, it was a familiar theme with a very unique ending. In fact, one of the things that stuns me about this text is this is the only beatitude that Jesus had any comment about. And the one thing he said about this one beatitude is earth-shattering. Listen to it in verse 11. Blessed are you. The other beatitudes are blessed are they, blessed are they. Now he points straight to you. Blessed are you when people insult you or persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, the Jews said, blessed are you if you suffer for the law of God, the sacred Torah of God, for the word of God. It's not what Jesus said. He replaced the Torah of God with himself. Everybody's jaw hit the floor. Who, who do you think you are? What do you think you are? And then at the end of the sermon, if you fast forward, the last thing Jesus says in his most famous speech is the same thing as this eighth beatitude. Some of you will remember this, like little kids singing this at church. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock and the rains came tumbling down. Now, like that, there's like one in eight of you that are shaking your head. Oh, yeah, I remember that song. And the rest of you are going, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. What? <laughs> the scripture says, this is Jesus, anyone who hears these words of mine and obeys them is like a man who built his house on the rock. The winds blew, the rains came down, the rivers rose, COVID came. I added that last one in there. It's not really in the Bible, is it? It, it could be, though. Have you noticed how many people's lives have been shattered by COVID? I'm not talking about the physical health. I've had it, it was bad. I spent three days in the hospital. I'm the last person that's gonna minimize the physical effects of COVID. But the social effects, the mental effects, the spiritual effects have been devastating to people. You know why? Because Jesus isn't the foundation of their life. There's a lot of Christians who are faltering during the season. They're triggered during the season. They're nasty during the season because Jesus isn't the foundation of their life. And Jesus even said that, that if anyone hears my words but doesn't obey them, he's like a man who builds his life on the sand and the winds blow and the rains come down and the rivers rise and the house falls with a smash. It's actually the last thing he said in the sermon because he wants to warn you. You can come to church, you can hear his words, but until you put them into practice, your life is in jeopardy of even minor tragedies like COVID. Come on, people. 
We need to build our lives on the rock of Jesus Christ. This is so powerful, it's repeated literally by every major player in the New Testament. The eighth beatitude is found somewhere else in everyone's writing of the New Testament. You want me to prove it? Here's the first one from Peter. He's the one that got the keys. Inner circle of Jesus. Listen to what Peter has to say in chapter four of his book, verse 13. But rejoice, does that sound familiar? Blessed are you, inasmuch as you participate in suffering. Does that sound familiar? Blessed are the persecuted of Christ, so that they may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. There it is, that's the eighth beatitude in Peter's writing. Jesus' half-brother, James, didn't even believe in his brother until after the resurrection. But listen to what James says. It has an echo of the eighth beatitude, verse 12, chapter one. Blessed, even use the same word, is the one who perseveres under trial. Blessed are the persecuted, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And Jesus is the center of your life. You can withstand any storm. Okay, so we got Peter, we got James. Who's the other major player in the New Testament? Anyone? Anyone? Paul, sure. Let's go to Philippians chapter three. Paul is going to describe the eighth beatitude in verse 10. I want you to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. There it is. Throughout the New Testament, this idea that Christ has replaced the law is everywhere. And in the Sermon on the Mount, it begins with Jesus replacing the law. It ends with Jesus replacing the law. Verse 17 just flat out states it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. How? How do you fulfill the law? Not by obeying the law, but by being the law. And for the remainder of chapter 5, this is the core of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said. Moses said, but I say. You've heard that it was said, but I say. Moses said, but I say. Now, I want you to be able to hear this like an ancient Jew. In the year 200 AD, all of the oral traditions of the Jews were written in a book. It's called the Mishnah. You can find it online. There's about 1,200 pages of eye-bleeding boredom. It's, it's tough to read. But in there, you have all these famous rabbis. There's Akiba and Hillel and Shammai, and they're all arguing with each other. The only rabbi that is never argued against, like you do not contradict him, is the rabbi Moses. He's off limits. He is above and beyond. He's the one who gave the law of God. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, I know Moses said this, but I say. What? Who do you think you are? Do you know who he is? Do you know who he is? He is the word of God. 
And if you build your life on what he says, you will have a foundation that no storm can shake. Blessed are those who are persecuted. We can clap for that. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you believe that? Do you know that persecution is on the rise right now? Of all the people ever martyred and murdered for Jesus Christ, over half of them have been martyred and murdered in the last 100 years. There's been more deaths for Christ in the last 100 years than the previous 2,000 combined. Right now, there are 360 million Christians in jeopardy of persecution, not just death, but confiscation of property, the rape of wives and children, the, the, uh, this, the legal system being against them. Christians all over the world are suffering for Jesus Christ. And they're fortunate for that suffering. One in eight Christians worldwide is facing imminent persecution. One in six in Africa are facing imminent persecution, and two in five in Asia are facing imminent persecution for the name of Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you've looked around at our own country. It's not just coming. It is here. And I don't know anywhere it's more here than here. In Los Angeles, California, there are legal systems designed to move against believers. There are social systems and laws and opinions and rules and canceling that if you stand for the name of Jesus, you are in jeopardy of being persecuted. You say, I, I, may not, I, I may not die for Jesus. I may never be beaten for Jesus. But listen to what Jesus, this is Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted and insulted. Blessed are you if people say false things against you. That too is part of persecution. That can affect your family. It can affect your job. It can affect where you live and the quality of life you have. Do not feel sorry for yourself if you're persecuted. Here's why. You remember what Paul said? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Why would you want to suffer with Jesus? Here's why. And every veteran knows this. When you go through battle together, you understand each other at a deeper level. At every memorial in Washington, D.C., you can go there today and, and see it happen. Two men who have never met before they have the same uniform, they have the same beret, and the same life experience. They love and understand each other better because of their mutual suffering. I went to the Holocaust Museum in LA with a friend of mine. He was older and wiser, and sitting there was a Holocaust survivor. My friend tried to engage him in conversation, couldn't get him to talk. Oh, he would answer his questions, but short, brief. And after my friend walked on, I simply asked him one question. Were you in Auschwitz? And he said, 
You've been there. I've been there. And the floodgates of conversation opened. Even though I hadn't suffered in Auschwitz, I had been where he suffered. And that solidarity created a conversation. For those who suffer for the name of Jesus, there's a solidarity with Jesus. You understand him in a way that others don't. Do not pity the martyrs. They wear a white robe in the presence of God. I hope this isn't too vulnerable, but I, I want to get personal with you because COVID has been tough and it's been tough for everybody. It's been tough for every pastor that I know because there have been more vituperative, nasty emails sent in than, than any other season. Christians attacking their pastors in email. And I was complaining about this to a group of pastor friends of mine saying, everyone is so triggered, and everyone is so soft, and everyone is so like virtue signaling, and I was complaining about it, and suddenly I heard myself, and I realized I'm triggered, and I'm weak, and I'm vulnerable. And this is a concern for me, and I want to tell you very specifically why. Because right now, in the culture that we're in, Every social issue has become elevated to a spiritual issue. Whether it's a vaccine or a mask or racial tension. Now, I'm not saying that those are not important issues, that they need to be discussed. But I find Christians claiming that they're persecuted because of a social issue. The promise of Jesus is not that you're rewarded if you're persecuted. If you're persecuted for Jesus' name. And you standing on a social issue or a medical issue or a science issue, as important as that might be, that does not get you the reward. It is when we stand for Christ because Christ, Christ, and Christ alone is the only solution to racism. He is the only solution to our medical problems. He is the only solution to our political malaise. He is the rock that we build our life upon. And until he is the foundation of our lives, we're gonna live soft and triggered and tender lives. Stand on the rock. Lift up Jesus. We cannot afford Shepherd Church. We cannot afford to be known as the church against social issues or for medical, that is not who we are. We are a Jesus church. We here, we lift up Jesus and him alone. I appreciate you applauding for that. That's not gonna make any difference. Don't applaud in here. Lift up Jesus out there. Come on. Here's why. It's when we make peace that we will be persecuted. And when you go to your friends and your family, your work and your schools, and you lift up Jesus, you will be persecuted for his name. And then you will find the reward in the kingdom of heaven.
So I'm gonna pray a simple prayer as we dismiss. My prayer is for you and for me to lift up Jesus. Would, would we stand to our feet? Holy Father, we, we fight and argue and fuss over so many things and right now our world is so triggered and angry. They need Jesus more than ever and they love him less than ever. I'm gonna pray a simple prayer, Lord, that you, through your Holy Spirit, for those watching online, for those at Woodland Hills, for those at Agua Dulce, for those at Porter Ranch, that every Christ follower would go this week and share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone who needs him. It's in his name that we pray, amen. If you need Jesus, please don't walk out of the room without having a relationship with him. Maybe you just need prayer. To my left, to your right, those doors right over there have counselors and friends who want to meet you and introduce you to the rock himself, Jesus Christ. Let's go out and lift up Jesus.